and welcome back to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from Yale's Office of Career Strategy aimed at helping you through the various aspects of finding a job and building a career that you love. My name is Claire Zala and I'm a senior in Yale College. I work with the Common Good and Creative Career Team to support Yale students interested in pursuing careers that make a difference and encourage creativity. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Commissioner Ellen Weintraub. Since 2002, Commissioner has served as a commissioner in the U.S. Federal Election Commission, a bipartisan commission that oversees the administration of the nation's campaign finance laws. She's also chaired the FEC three times, most recently in 2019. Before the commission, she was a counsel on the House Ethics Committee and worked as an attorney counseling members and staff of Congress and various political entities on issues relating to ethics, campaign finance, and election law. Ellen graduated from Harvard Law School and Yale College with a bachelor's degree in British studies. Welcome to the podcast, Commissioner. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. It's great to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so could you please tell us more about your work with the commission? Why does the FEC play such an important role in a healthy democracy? The FEC regulates campaign finance, money and politics. So if you care about politics and you care about money, it's a great place to work. Money really has a huge impact on who gets elected, but also what gets enacted. And what we do is to provide transparency to the American people. So everything that you read in the newspaper about what industries and what individuals are supporting which candidates, how much money is being spent, all of that comes from the data that we collect from the candidates and from the party committees and the political committees and make public on our website uh, and, and make available uh, so that people can see if there are conflicts of interest, if there are, um, and make their own judgments about who they want to support, you can learn a lot about a candidate based on who is supporting them and, and draw some interesting conclusions there. Uh, if, for example, if the Sierra Club is supporting a candidate or the NRA is supporting a candidate, that really tells you something about the kind of issues that that candidate is likely to be pursuing when they're in office. So I think this information is very important to the American people to figure out what influences are being, being brought to bear on their government. And given that you've served on the commission under four different presidents, how have the challenges you face evolved over time, especially, um, I mean, social media, internet for sure, but also just technology in general. You've also written um, about uh, dark finances, I believe. Dark money, yes, dark the money, money that we don't you. see. Um, I, well, I mean, there've been big changes since Citizens United, which is like the one Supreme Court opinion that pretty much everybody uh, who hasn't gone to law school has still heard about, uh, which has really enhanced the ability of people to spend vast sums of money on politics and trying to influence, as I said, not only who gets elected, but what they do after they take office. If you if you care about any issue of substance, whether it's you know climate change or uh, choice or really any, any topic that you care about that you think impacts your life, it's gonna be affected by who is funding elections and who is pressuring candidates to support their viewpoints on those issues. As a result of the uh, Citizens United decision, wealthy individuals now have a, a much larger role that they can play. They can put unlimited amounts of money into super PACs to try and sway the public to support or oppose different candidates. And
And there is a, a fairly small group of, of people who do spend millions and millions of dollars trying to influence the public. So on the one hand, because of the role of the internet and because uh, it's now easier for people to give small donations, on the one hand, we've seen a big increase in small donations, You know, people who give $25 or $25 a month supporting the candidates of their choice. But on the, on the top end, we've also seen a group of uh, a few hundred to a couple of thousand individuals who give literally millions and millions of dollars uh, every cycle in order to try and influence the outcome of the election. And that, I think, is really consequential when it comes to how politics gets played in this country. You know, it seems like such a big multifaceted problem slash work that you're doing. I'm curious, what is a day in the job like for you? Well, of course, it's for ev like everybody else in the country. It's different now, <laughs> uh, a little different now than it than it was before. I don't literally go into the office anymore. The entire agency is on telework, but. Um, we have an enforcement role. So there are a set of rules that are uh, rules and laws about how people can raise and spend their money and who it can come from and how they disclose it. And we enforce those laws. So people file complaints with the FEC and a lot of my day is taken up with reading the reports that are uh, Office of General Counsel gives us with recommendations on how we should deal with those complaints about campaign finance violations. The uh, Another big part of my job is writing rules, writing new regulations, and um, that requires a different, you know, slightly different skill set, different way of thinking about not just what have people done in the past, but what what is the best way to interpret the law going forward? What sort of new rules should we be putting forward to help people understand how they can go about complying with the law? Um, I also, you know, I do public speaking. I talk to school groups. I um, uh, I go on media to try and explain the law to the American people. There have been times when uh, the campaign finance laws have become really important to the public debate. For example, the ban on foreigners giving money in our elections became very important in the course of the impeachment of the former president. Um, and we are the people who have authoritative information on that set of laws. So I was on the media, I was writing um, uh, statements that people could use to figure out exactly what the parameters were. It seems that your legal career has always been built around um, political and electoral ethics. Was this the focus that you expected for yourself when you were at Yale? Uh, no, absolutely not. I, I don't think anybody grows up thinking they want to be a federal election commissioner when they uh, when they grow up. Uh, I didn't. I was not sure what I wanted to do when I was at Yale. Uh, I majored in British studies because it was the broadest possible topic that I could think of, and it gave me a good excuse to go to London. Um, but uh, I had not at that point decided uh, whether to go to law school. My parents always wanted me to go to law school, so naturally that was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, uh, but turns out they were right. Um, sometimes parents are right. I was not ready to go straight to graduate school when I uh, finished my undergrad at, at Yale. So I, I took three years working before I decided exactly where I wanted to go to grad school and, and, and what I wanted to do with my 
career get a get a better idea on that and i worked uh, i worked at yale for a year and i worked in state government in massachusetts for two years and that really helped me decide that law school actually was the the best way to go for me and given that you were i think only the third woman to serve as commissioner did you face any challenges getting started either as a woman in law or a woman in politics yeah, well, things were very different back when I got started. I've been doing this for a while. Um, I remember in my first year out of law school, um, being invited to an important meeting with a client and learning on the way to the meeting that it was being held in somebody's private club that didn't admit women as members. And I was literally in the middle of the street. I was crossing the street and I didn't know whether I should just stop and turn around and leave because I would normally not attend a club that wouldn't have me as a member. Um, so things like that were still happening back when I started my uh, legal career. There was only one woman partner, I think, at the uh, law firm that I started out at. And even when I came to the commission, I was the only woman at the table when um, when I started. Now there are um, two of us. For a while there, uh, half the commission was women. We had three women for a while. But um, when I got there, I was the only woman at the table because, um, uh, as you said, I was the third woman to be a commissioner in the history of the commission, but the other two had left. So um, it was just me and the guys back then. And there were, I mean, there were plenty of times when I had meetings with people in the course of my career where I was the only woman in the room. And I'm, um, I, I hope that things have really changed in that regard. Do you, um, and so a lot of people who listen to this podcast are undergraduates at Yale um, who are trying to kind of figure out where they're going after school. And you said you took three years to kind of figure things out a little bit. Um, would you recommend that for students? Or perhaps do you have another recommendation for people who are kind of trying to find their way in the world as they graduate, especially if they're interested in law? Well, I do think, you know, if you know absolutely that you want to go to a, a particular professional school because you know that that's what you want to do, then, you know, sure, you can go straight through. I thought getting out of school for a few years and seeing what it was like in the working world was really informative to me in making my decisions. I mean, one of the reasons that I went to law school was I was working in, uh, as I said, in state government and, um, I was working at the uh, first at the Department of Public Welfare and then at the Department of Social Services in Massachusetts, and what there were a lot of subject matter experts in the in the administration, but the people who seemed to be making the decisions, who were in the positions of power in the agency, were all lawyers. So uh, even though sometimes they didn't know as much as the subject matter experts did. So I thought, you know, I wanted to be one of those people who was a decision maker, who was able to influence uh, policy and, and the law degree seemed like a good way to get there. But I will say that when I was in law school, there were a lot of people there who hadn't, didn't really have clear plans. They just sort of went to law school because they had graduated with a liberal arts degree and didn't know what else to do with themselves. Um, and mm -hmm. I don't think, Law school is hard and it's expensive. Um, and at least when I went, wasn't actually that much fun. I think they've mm -hmm. improved the experience since I went to law school, but I wouldn't really recommend doing it unless you really know what you want to do with a law degree and have a, you know, have a little bit more of a plan. Mm. And do you think that, have you found that there are certain qualities that are really, um, that have helped you succeed in your career, especially, um, especially as you've chaired the commission? 
Well, I think you have to um, you have to be clear about what you want to accomplish, and then you know, obviously, there's a certain amount of give and take. But at a certain point, you have to know where your lines are and that you're just not going to compromise anymore, that at a certain point, it's just going too far. Um, mm -hmm. I think that being able to clearly articulate why these things are important to you and what your principles are and figuring that out for yourself is, is really important to being able to convince other people of why they should agree with you. I, absolutely. And um, I know our listeners can't see this, but you have a very wonderful library behind you. I'm curious, do you have any um, reading or resources that you could recommend to, to young undergraduates in this day and age? Um, not that's career related. Um, I, I, um, I do a lot of reading in my job. So when I read off the job, I mean, I, I, I tend to read there's one category of, of books that I read that are about democracy, which is something that I care about a lot. And, and there's a lot of good um, uh, writing about that. But when I'm off the job, I, I like to read um, uh, mystery novels and just mm -hmm. kind of get away from it all. Novels that are set in uh, exotic places uh, and different time periods just to really be able to decompress and, and, um, and not be thinking about work at all. I understand. I think reading is such a, a wonderful way to do that because so much of my reading is related to like international security or global affairs. And so sometimes it's like, hmm, I'm going to go read this, you know, fantasy novel or some Tolkien or something. Absolutely understand that. Um, something I'm also wondering is uh, I'd like to know kind of what your hopes are for the future, not necessarily plans, but um, you know, either when COVID ends or just uh, later in your career, like what, what hopes do you have for yourself? Well, I'm very concerned right now as somebody who has been in the democracy field for a while, I'm really concerned about where we are as a nation and as a world. You know, I think we're, there's been a rise of authoritarianism around the world um, and some disturbing tendencies have been shown in our country. I, I think we're in a real crisis when it comes to just truth and and people accepting the same set of facts as a starting point because you you cannot come together on policy proposals for how to move the world forward and and get to a better place if you can't agree at the outset on what the facts are so um, I am hoping that, whatever I end up doing, that I'll be able to constructively engage with people in a way that will help our, uh, our democracy and democracy writ large uh, move in a better direction because it needs, it needs a lot of uh, attention right now. Absolutely, 100% agree. I'm, I'm glad that someone as um, accomplished and as experienced as yourself is interested in addressing that challenge. Um, Commissioner, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This was so interesting and I feel like I really learned a lot. Um, the one thing that I, I would like to say is, you know, there's a lot of people who get out of school and they get sort of, they start down a track and then they find themselves just kind of um, stuck. Um, pursuing the same path when maybe it's not the thing that really inspires them. And you're going to spend a lot of your waking hours at work. 
as, as Yale graduates, you're gonna have a lot of options in front of you. I would really mm -hmm. encourage students to think hard about what they can do that will feed their souls as well as their bellies and their pocketbooks. I mean, you can, um, I am actually fairly passionate about the work that I do and other people don't have to be passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about, but I hope that they will find their own passions and a way that they can use those to make the world a better place. To uh, I've been in the private sector and in the public sector and being in the public sector and working for the public good and for the American people has been the most satisfying part of my career. So I really strongly uh, encourage people to think about public service as a as a path forward. I think that's so fantastic that you've been able to incorporate your passion into your day to day because you're right, you do spend so many hours, um, not just of your day, but of your years and of your life at work. And uh, I think it's so important that you find something that, that really invigorates you. You know, the, the old quote, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. It's what the world needs will come alive. I, I love that. And I always think about that is, um, that's why I love my job. I love uh, working with, with CGCC because in a way I, feel like I'm doing my small part to help people find what makes them come alive. That's excellent. Good for you. Um, thank you again so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited for the podcast episode to go up. My pleasure. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you.